0: from orphans to sons and daughters and this is one of my favorite kind of gospel themes to think about the way in which god has adopted me this is something which brings me into worship into the light of god because it is such an amazing truth that god takes someone like me someone like you and declares us to be members of his family it leads me into praise of god because it is such good news such extraordinary news and it's a, it's a, a, a powerful, powerful picture, adoption. Uh, adoption is uh, something that we have a, a kind of a passion for here at Gateway. And uh, actually 13, Richard was looking at the stats the other day, 13% of the children in our children's work here at Gateway are adopted. Which is like, yes, kind of on a fist pump the air, because it's such good news that... Uh, I'd love that to be true of us, that it is true of us that increasingly, if people want to know how you do adoption, what that looks like, when you come along to Gateway Church and you see all these families who've got adopted kids and are being built into community and uh, people, uh, children who had some stories of tragedy and loss in their lives, now are knowing a place of security and family, having a new name, a new identity. That's uh, just amazing. And to have so many uh, adoptive families in, in our church is, is something which I think is absolutely thrilling because there is... Nothing which is so completely reorienting as adoption. Other things that we do in life results in kind of profound changes to uh, our sense of identity. You get a new job, maybe you move to a new place, get married. You kind of uh, things change, but there's nothing I think as completely reorienting, as completely transforming as adoption, because when you're adopted, everything changes. You do you get a, you get a new name, you get a new privilege, you get new rights, you get new responsibilities. The the whole deal changes. You, you were this and now you have become that. The, the whole thing changes. You're, everything about your situation is transformed by adoption. It's an absolutely amazing, transformative thing. And so adoption is something which the Bible speaks of a lot. It's a picture of, of uh, how God relates to us, to his people, that God adopts us and that is transformative for us, that there is nothing more transforming, nothing more reorienting, nothing more extraordinary, that we get to be called children of God. We get this new identity, this new name, this new privileges, new rights, new responsibilities. Everything is changed when we come to God through Jesus Christ and He says, you're my son, you're my daughter. So this is an amazing, powerful, beautiful theme that we're going to be exploring this morning. We were orphans, we become sons and daughters of the living God. Uh, To help us, just to kind of get our minds into this, We have a a three-minute video of of Richard talking about some of his personal experience, about uh, fatherhood particularly, so hopefully this will work.
1: I grew up in Johannesburg in South Africa, and when I was a child, things were tough. Things were really tough. When I was 11 months old, my dad just upped and left, which sent a complete shockwave through our family and had a number of ramifications. So everything from uh, the struggles of growing up um, with a reduced income and the financial problems that growing up in a single parent family sometimes brings, the very practical aspects of not having another man around the house to uh, teach me what it means to be a man as I was growing up and to help me to negotiate uh, adolescence in the teenage years, there was the social stigma of growing up in a single parent family in Johannesburg, which at the time was a very paternalistic culture. Uh, Even having a guy around to teach me to drive or how a car works, those things just weren't a feature of my upbringing whatsoever. Many years later when I was 24, for no apparent reason, I walked into a church building and someone said something to me which really unlocked something in my heart and for the first time in my life I realised that God loved me and I began to give my life to Jesus and it was a fantastic experience but it also began in me a mere process which has lasted well for the last 20 odd years of knowing God as a father and that God as a father loves us and cares for us and is kind and gentle. Because my experience wasn't that at all. My experience of fatherhood was absence and rejection and harshness. And so that's been a, a journey for me to go on. I'm a father now myself and love being a father and obviously understand much more now about what fatherhood means than my previous life experiences had taught me. And I wanna continue to be a good father. And uh, I recognise that in order to do that, I need to remember that God is my good father. And honestly, that is uh, sometimes a struggle for me. I need to come back to the disciplines of remembering what he's said in his uh, word to us in the Bible. It says in John 3.16, because God loved us, loved me so much that he gave his only son Jesus to die for me. Um, I love the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, where the son returns home and the father uh, isn't harsh and aloof and distant but he runs to the sun and he embraces him and he robes him and he uh, just loves him and says quickly we're going to celebrate now and um, I think that's so important for someone like me to remember uh, because it's a picture of how much God loves me. My name is richard stamp and i'm a child of god yay well done thanks man
0: nice video that's one of the benefits of having ryan with us of helping us with our videos as well let's turn to scripture we're going to turn to ephesians chapter 2. Uh, normally we use the esv version which is the bible's on the chairs but uh, Felt this was actually a bit clearer in the NIV, so the verses should appear on the screen behind me. It's pretty much the same, but just a few things were <coughs> word is slightly differently. Ephesians chapter two, we're going to read verses 11 to 19, but break it down and take a, a few verses at a time. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he's explaining to them their status. He's describing to them how things were for them and how things are now for them. And in this part of the letter, he's explaining how God had previously entered into a special relationship with a special people, a chosen people, the people of Israel. And with that people, with the people of Israel, God had made covenants. He had made promises about how he was going to treat them, how he was going to care for them, and the kind of relationship he was going to have with them. Essentially, God had promised to the people of of Israel, Abraham's descendants, that he would be their father. He was going to be the father of this particular nation. That was good news for Abraham's descendants. It was good news for the people of Israel, but it was actually quite bad news for everyone else, for all the non-Israelites, for, as Paul describes us here, the Gentiles, the uncircumcised. People who weren't physical descendants of Abraham were outside the promises, the covenants, that God had made with his people, didn't have the same relationship with God as they did. And this meant that actually all the peoples of the world, apart from the people of Israel, were in some sense spiritual orphans. And this is a disastrous position in which to be. It's a disastrous position to be out of relationship with God, to not know God as Father, to not have that kind of relationship with Him. And as we think about this theme of, of orphans and adoption, of moving from being orphans to being sons and daughters in the uh, in, in God's presence, we always have to co- keep in mind the kind of context of, of what actually it means to be an orphan. And in the ancient world, in the, in the world of the Bible, to be an orphan was a disastrous thing. Richard talked about some of the impacts of his dad walking out and the practical stuff and the kind of psychological impact. But to be an orphan in the ancient world was to be in a place of incred- incredible vulnerability. It left you uh, exposed. It left you insecure. It left you probably in poverty. It left you very vulnerable to exploitation. And of course we still see those things in many parts of the world today where orphans are easily picked off, easily exploited, often poor, often abused. And uh, the the, the safety net of the welfare state in the UK means that things are not quite as bad as they once were, but still the effects can be profound. And the impact of fatherlessness can be profound too of not having the kind of relationship with your dad which actually you should have the impact of that can be profound we I'm sure we all know uh, tough guys who actually we know to be broken inside because their relationship with their father is not what it should have been or because dad walked out. And I'm sure we all know women who just really struggle to ever form a healthy connection with a man because of the relationship with the father, which is so distorted their ability to form a connection with a man. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps that's been your story. The impact of our relationship with our parents, with our Father especially, as human beings, is, is huge. But so also is the impact of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That if what our dads are like can affect us so profoundly as human beings, well, what our relationship with our Heavenly Father is like is also profound. And we might think, some might suggest that uh, the reason that Our relationship with our father affects us so profoundly is just a kind of a just a result of mammalian life that as as mammals we have certain needs that uh, parents are meant to provide and mums and dads have particular ability to provide particular things that mothers are particularly able to provide the care and nurture that a young mammal needs and the male, is the father, is particularly able to provide protection from predators and provide that kind of care. And some might suggest that the reason that we as humans get so affected by the relationship with our parents is because, well, it's just a kind of an evolutionary uh, result that's just how mammals operate. You need your mum and dad around to kind of provide and to care and nurture for you. But I think it's far more profound than that, that actually we're made for relationship with God. And that's why, if our relationship with our earthly father isn't what it should be, that's why it affects us so profoundly because okay. the relationship with our earthly dad is actually meant to reflect in some way the relationship we're meant to have with our heavenly father. And if those things are wrong, then our... We can end up with all kinds of identity issues. We can end up with all kinds of distorted views of ourselves and of other people and of all kinds of situations because we've got a distorted view of what fatherhood is like and who we are and where our place in the world is. That our relationship with our father is fundamental to our humanity. And that's true in terms of our earthly fathers and it's certainly true in terms of our heavenly father. And Paul says here, the diagnosis of the human condition is this. That you were separate, you were alien, you were strangers, you were far from God. You didn't know God as your father. The children of Abraham knew God as their father, but no one else in the world did. And that has a disastrous effect. That's the diagnosis, but then, hallelujah, Paul goes on to the solution. Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now... Very often when you're reading, especially in Paul's letters, when you read those two words, but now, you know, really good news is coming. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. The diagnosis of the human condition is that we were alienated we were spiritual orphans we were far from god but god has provided a solution for us through his son jesus christ that jesus has made a way for all people to come near to god and jesus in doing that has broken down the division that previously there had been between jew and gentile between god's people the people of abraham and everyone else jesus has removed that division and made a way for all the peoples of the earth, whatever your ethnicity, whatever your nationality, whatever your heritage, whatever your ancestry, for all peoples to come near to God. He's broken down and destroyed the division between those who were in and those who were out. He's broken down the division between those who thought they were sons and those who know, know that they were orphans and enabled us to come together as one family And actually, Jesus is the way that both Jew and Gentile are reconciled to God. Jesus is the way that all the promises that God made to Abraham are fulfilled. And those promises to Abraham are now not just for Abraham's physical descendants, but for all who are his descendants spiritually, for people like me, for people like you. Jesus is the only natural son. We believe in one God and three persons. Jesus was never created. He's eternal, as is the Father and the Spirit, but he eternally has been the Father's Son. And everyone else who becomes part of the family of God is adopted by the work of Jesus Christ. Paul says here that we come to the Father through Jesus and by the Spirit. We see in this uh, uh, solution that Paul describes how the whole trinity, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit are working together for our salvation, for our adoption, for our inclusion in his promises, in his covenants, in his family. God works that each one of us might be rescued from our spiritual orphan status and brought into sonship and daughterhood before the King of all kings. And the fruit of this, verse 19, is this consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Wonderful, amazing, extraordinary, incredible. We come to the Father through Jesus, by the Spirit, and our status is transformed. We're suddenly declared to be members of the household of God, in it, part of it, belonging to it. When we come to God, when we come to God through Jesus Christ, we're adopted by him and everything changes. There's that complete reorientation that happens, can only happen through adoption. A new name, a new identity, a new status, new rights, new responsibilities, the whole thing changes. And we need to see this, we need to grasp it, we need to feel it, we need to taste the goodness of this, the the reality of our adoption, the profound nature of it, how good it is and how transforming it is. We need to live in this new identity. You know, we can come to Jesus, we can know the miracle of new life, of him creating new life in us, of him declaring us to be children of his father, but then we can so easily slip back to living under our old, identity. That rather than living in this place of security and relationship with the Father, we can slip back into insecurity and relational poverty. We can start to act like spiritual orphans again, rather than those who have become children of God. And this applies to all of us. And so really, the question for you today is, where are you? Are you actually in that place where you've never come to Jesus You've never come to the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're in that first place, in the place which Paul diagnoses, where you're still standing outside the promises of God and the covenants of God, that rather than knowing God, you're alienated from him. Maybe you you want to know him, but at the moment he's far distant from you. What you need to do is to come to Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus Christ that you can come to the Father. Through Jesus, the Holy Spirit is poured out into your heart so you can cry out to the Father, Abba, Father, my Lord, my God. And maybe you know, maybe in your head you know, maybe theologically you know that you've been adopted as a child of God, but you have this tendency to slip back into your old identity rather than living in your new identity as this child of God. Maybe you do slip back into that place of a spirit of, the orphan rather than the spirit of a son of a daughter of God. If that's you, you need to step again today into the experience of the reality of what it means to be God's child, known by him and loved by him. If you're not standing in that place, you're going to struggle to know joy in God. You're going to struggle to produce good fruit because we know joy, we know security, we become fruitful as we stand confidently in our identity as children of God. So what does that look like? What does living in our new identity look like? I just want to run through a number of things which might help kind of ground and anchor this practically for us. First thing is it does mean that we know that God loves us. Theologian author Jared Packer says this, God adopts us out of his free love, not because our character and record shows us worthy to bear his name, but despite the fact that they show the opposite. We are not fit for a place in God's family. The idea of his loving and exalting us sinners as he loves and has exalted the Lord Jesus sounds ludicrous and wild. Yet that, and nothing less than that, is what our adoption means. (laughs) Often talk to people, you people in the church, who say things, well, I don't not really feeling the love of God, or maybe sometimes people say, I don't, don't really feel worthy to come into God's presence. You know, that that that's the point. God shouldn't love you. And in yourself, you're not worthy. But He does love those He adopts. And so if you are adopted by God, then your feeling of unworthiness or your feeling of not feeling love actually, is in a sense, is irrelevant because it's not true. And what needs to happen is your experience needs to begin to match up with the truth of what God has spoken over you. You know, love, love, is, a, love is a choice. And God has chosen to love those that he adopts. He didn't have to love us. We weren't worthy of his love, but he chooses to love us. He says, I want you. I love you. I choose you. I adopt you. And we, in response, have a choice to make to receive that love, to believe that love. Y- you know, the same thing, kind of dynamic, can operate in, in human relationships as well, that, uh, that you can be loved by somebody, but you can not feel worthy of their love, or you might not f- feel love, just because you're choosing not to respond to it, you're choosing not to believe it, can have be that, that kind of distance. I don't believe your love, I don't receive your love. And we, as, as Christians, can do that. We can, we can come in on a Sunday morning and sing songs and actually I'm not feeling it because actually we're something in us which isn't cho- is choosing. Our, we're not choosing to believe what God has actually done. You have to choose love. You, God has chosen to, to love us and we choose to respond to his love. And if you don't choose to respond to the love of God, the truth of it, the reality of it, the miracle of it, you're going to live as an orphan, not as a son. one john 1, one of my key verses in life. The Apostle John says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. I don't feel it. I'm not sure about it. I'm not worthy of it. What does John say? And so we are. If if you're struggling to feel the love of God, you're struggling to feel, I'm not worthy to come into God's presence, (laughs) mail 1 John 3.1 to your forehead. Get it? Go to the tattoo shop and get it inked on your arm. See what kind of love the Father has given to us so that we should be called children of God, and so we are. You choose to believe it. You choose to receive it. You choose to accept it. What is my relationship with you, God? You're my Father. You love me. I choose to believe it. I choose to live in the truth of that. I choose to allow that to shape me, not the lies of our enemy who would say that you... You're an orphan. No, I'm not an orphan. I'm an adopted son with all the rights and privileges of that. Free access to my father's house and all he has. Second thing is to know that God understands us. Psalm 103. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. That's a comforting verse. God remembers what we're like. God doesn't expect too much of us. He knows what we're made of. He made us. He knows that we're made of the stuff of the earth. He understands us. He understands what you're like. He, he understands the human condition. The psalmist could say this about God. God knows how much more we know than the psalmist does about what God knows about us. Because we know that God has walked among us. We know that God in Jesus Christ has come and he has inhabited a body made of dust and he has experienced human life in all its weakness and its frailty. God understands us. As an adopted son, daughter of the Father, he understands you. His compassion for you. understands your limitations, understands your weakness. He is never without mercy. He's never without compassion. He's never impatient. He understands you thoroughly, top to toe third thing knowing god gives us good gifts jesus says matthew seven eleven, if you parents though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him if you're a son confident in the love of your father and his understanding of you then you're confident to ask for stuff you just do because you know it's yours You don't ask permission for stuff which is just freely available for you to have and to take. Well, you ask and you expect a positive answer because you know that your Father loves you and loves to give you good stuff. And so we, as children of God, are able to come to God and to ask Him, to ask for His blessing, to ask for His help to ask for his grace when we know that we're in need, for us, to ask him to strengthen us and encourage us and fortify us and enable us to push through when we lack stuff that we have to have. When as a church we feel a lack of resources, we say, God, you're our father, would you give us good gifts? And we believe that he will because that's what a father does. Fourth thing which is connected to that, knowing God gives us an inheritance in heaven. Now, we're not just looking for provision now, but we have an inheritance. Expectation of eternal blessing. Galatians 4, 7. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. 1 Peter 1, 4. He has given us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. The children of God have a great inheritance awaiting us. The scriptures teach us that in Christ we possess all that Christ has. Christ is Lord of all, and one day he will be seen to be Lord of all, and his people will enjoy all with him. Our, uh, our desires, our wants are often so small, so pitiful, in comparison with actually what we are promised in God. As his children, we're going to inherit the earth. We're going to rule over all things. There's an inheritance in us, held secure in heaven, which will be made known on that day when Christ comes for his people. He's coming back to a people, not who are slaves, but his Children, his heirs, his blessed ones. Fifth thing, knowing we are forgiven and accepted. Back in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. If you come before God's come in faith through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit you enter into this new relationship with the Father, you are forgiven. If, you don't, if we don't grasp that, if we go back to our old identity of being an alien, a stranger, a slave, then we're going to get weighed down by condemnation. We have an enemy who's very good at condemning us, who'd speak condemnation to us, would remind us of all the ways in which we fail and have failed, that long, long list which we accumulate over our lives, all the things where we haven't done quite as we would like to have done and messed things up and don't feel as good about ourselves as we would like and haven't achieved what we had hoped perhaps we would and we have an enemy who would come and condemn us and drag us down in his condemnation, but we turn to our Father in heaven Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. We do have redemption through his blood. We are forgiven. There are riches of grace for us. And sons and daughters of the Father lay hold of those truths and those promises. We pray them into our hearts day by day, hour by hour. We remind ourselves of this truth say, so, yes, I am forgiven, I am accepted, I'm loved. There are abounding riches in God for me through his son, Jesus Christ. He's not stingy or scrimping, but God is generous towards me. He's forgiven me utterly. He doesn't condemn me. Sixth thing, knowing that the Spirit leads us, Romans eight fourteen. those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Those who've come into this relationship of adoption with the Father The Spirit of God is poured into our hearts. That means that we're not on our own. Jesus said to his disciples it was better that he go away, that the Spirit, the Comforter, the Fortifier might come, the Counselor might come, and he would lead them, he would guide them, he would help us, he would guide us, he would strengthen us. And we come into this relationship of sonship with God, and the Spirit of God is at work in us, the Spirit of God is at work amongst us as a people to lead us and direct us and help us, instruct us. God doesn't leave us alone. Seventh thing might not seem quite so wonderful at first but it's good knowing the benefits of discipline Hebrews twelve ten: our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness you know God does allow things to happen to us to discipline us to shape us he does want us to be sanctified, to become increasingly holy, to be more and more like him. He, he wants us to share in his holiness. He, the ultimate goal, the end of the game, is that we see Jesus and we become like Jesus, that we share completely in his holiness. And through this life, he wants us to increasingly reflect his holiness, to know what that's like, because that's good. To know purity, because purity is Life-giving. It's what causes health in us, purity, good things. And he wants us to know his purity, his goodness, his holiness. And so there are times when God will discipline us. There are times when we do things which actually would keep us from God's way and God would discipline us and remind us about how to live because he's a father who loves his sons. And to respond to the discipline of the Lord, to receive it, to... Welcome it to be shaped by it. To know that it comes not to condemn us, but actually to bring us into freedom again is good. It's life-giving. It gives security. I don't want a father who just allows me to wander in my folly. I want a father who directs me and corrects me and teaches me and disciples me. That's what our Father in heaven does for us. Eighth thing: knowing what it is to share in Christ's sufferings and glory. Romans eight, seventeen. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Don't I don't like suffering. It's not something which I pursue. But actually there's a sense in which we who are God's people, we do share in the sufferings of Christ. We share in the, in the shame that so often comes on his name. Think about Jesus. He was shamed. He was hung on a cross, exposed, ridiculed, and we share in that shame. We are not ashamed to carry the shame. The stigma is saying, yes, we believe in this Savior. We believe in a God who rescues us through a bloody cross. We're not going to be ashamed of those things. Actually, we celebrate those things because we have this confidence that we're going to share in His glory. He was humiliated. He was ridiculed. He was shamed. But now He reigns in glory, and He will carry us into glory, and I want to know that glory, and so I'm going to carry... The, the shame of the cross, because I have this hope of glory in my Savior. Ninth thing, knowing the joy of bringing honor to God. Jesus, again, Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The Father's intent is that through us, through his adopted children, his glory his honor his goodness is made known to others in the in the ancient world when the a head of a family the paterfamilias as he was called adopted sons he was responsible as the head of the household as a father for ensuring harmony amongst his sons amongst those who were natural sons and those who adopted sons the whole household together he was responsible for maintaining order and harmony in the house But adopted sons had a responsibility to ensure they did nothing to bring dishonor, disrepute, discord upon the father. You're adopted and you have that responsibility not to bring shame upon the one who has adopted you, but to live in a way which honors him and causes others to honor him. And when we do that, that brings us into joy. It's a joyful way of living, to live in a way which directs praise and honor to our Father in heaven, that brings us into joy. It's an aspect of our worship. It's what we're called to do, and it's what sons and daughters of the King do. Once we were aliens. Once we were far off. That's the diagnosis of our problem. The solution is Jesus Christ, who by the cross is made the way for us, all of us, Jew and Gentile, to come into the presence of God, to receive the reality of his promise in our lives and to call him Father. The fruit of that is we have this place of security, this new identity where we can say, yes, I am a child of the Father in heaven, and that has changed everything. I wonder if we can... As we finish, if we can pray together, would you stand with me? And I'd like to lead us in prayer. I'll, I'll pray a line, and I'd like if you are able to pray it back after me. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, thank you that we can call you Father. Thank you that through your Son we are made your sons and daughters.
1: Thank you that through your son we are made your sons and
0: daughters. Thank you that by your spirits we are brought into your presence.
1: Thank you that by your spirit we are brought
0: into your presence. We confess we were sinners far from you. And we, as and we give thanks that you adopted us as your own. We ask that we would live in the reality of our new identity. We choose to believe and receive your love. We worship you for your kindness to us. Abba, Father, we delight in you. Abba, Abba Father, we delight in you. Amen. Amen. Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters here that each one in this room would know the reality of what it is to be an adopted child of the Father in heaven. Pray especially for those here this morning who are struggling to feel, to experience, to know the love of God. Pray that this morning they'd make that choice again to step into the love that is theirs that as we break bread and wine in a few minutes and it says that coming to you, that enacted stepping forward towards Jesus Christ represented by the bread and the wine, there would be an encounter with, an experience of the love of God which is real and true and sure and ours by right. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.